Hello, I'm Joanne Diaz. And I'm Abram Vanningen. And this is Poetry for All. In this podcast, we read a poem, discuss it, learn from it, and then read it one more time. Today, we are so excited to talk about a poem that everyone's excited about, Amanda Gorman's The Hill We Climb. Amanda Gorman was born in Los Angeles and graduated from Harvard University just last year. She's only 22 years old. She was the first ever National Youth Poet Laureate, and she has set the world on fire with the poem that she recited at the inauguration of President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. She read her poem so beautifully and so convincingly that there is no way that either I or Abram could ever do justice to her poem by reading it here. I, I, I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> and thankfully, everyone all over the world recorded it and has shared it on social media and on every news outlet so you can find it online. But we do want to talk about the poem because it achieves so many things so beautifully. This poem was so successful. I mean, it's been viewed hundreds of thousands of times on YouTube. Millions of people watched her. <laughs> when she did it. I mean, this is like the poem of, of the day, right? How did it work? Why did it work so well? How did she successfully blend an art of poetry with social engagement for an occasion? I have so many feelings and thoughts about this. I've been thinking about it nonstop since she read the poem to the world. Two quick thoughts in response to your question. The first one is the very famous Wallace Stevens line, the poem is the cry of its occasion. The poem is the cry of its occasion. That's a very interesting way of thinking about how and why great poems work. If that's true, I think that's what's working here with Amanda Gorman's poem. She so clearly understood what the occasion demanded. She so mm -hmm. clearly understood her audience as fractured, fatigued, in pain, uh, suffering, grieving, and she spoke to that. This is not merely an adulatory poem. This is not a poem of patriotic jingoism. This is not a poem that is only focusing on the good of America. This is a poem that starts with the never-ending shade. This mm -hmm. is the poem that asks, where can we find light in the darkness? Mm -hmm. And so she is willing to confront that pain that we are feeling as a nation and then push on that. And this is my second point. This is a poem that engages us. So I teach a class called the Poetics of Engagement. And I, I don't call it political poetry. I call it the Poetics of Engagement. And so these are poems where the poet is socially aware, historically aware, politically aware. And the reason I use the word engagement is because that word comes from the French engagé, which means to promise, to mm. make a contract, to bind. So there's a way in which Amanda Gorman, in multiple rhetorical moves in this poem, is demanding something of us, asking that we engage in a pact, in a bond, in a promise. Mm -hmm. By the end of the poem, she's done something so rhetorically moving that you feel like saying, yes, yes, I will answer the call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can do this. And it's very much a call. And I, I want to think about that just a little bit longer because... A call is is a voice. It's vocal. It's oral. It's not just written down. And this was very much a performed poem, a poem that calls for a performance of it. You said the poem as the cry of its occasion is, is Wallace Stevens' line. But so many occasions cry out for poetry. You know, 
even folks who don't tend to read poems, don't tend to buy a book of poetry, will nonetheless find themselves looking for lines of verse for the right occasion, for a wedding, for a funeral, for an inauguration. And so, so often occasions call for verse, and verse is vocal. Poetry is as old as the human voice, and it's everywhere you look. And, And I think it's the speaking of this poem that really brings it to life. And not only spoken but it's an embodied performance. Uh, Amanda Gorman's voice is beautiful. Her facial expressions are so engaging. Her hand gestures, her just the way that she moves with her audience, it's just fantastic. And, and you and I were talking earlier, but that ring that she's wearing, right? Mm-hmm. It's a ring that Oprah gave her. My God, she's friends with Oprah. She's <laughs> friends with Lin-Manuel Miranda. I mean, this woman. Anyway, it, Oprah gave this very symbolic ring to Amanda Gorman as a gift because, of course, it cites uh, the great memoir by Maya Angelou, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, mm-hmm. and it's a, a ring, a bird with a little, you know, in a little cage. And so by the, even the performance of wearing that ring and in doing so, citing her debt to poets like Maya Angelou and remembering Maya Angelou's performance decades ago in 1993 at Bill Clinton's inauguration, mm-hmm. it's just so resonant, you mm-hmm. know, uh, you can't possibly capture all of that on the page. Yeah, and it's elusive all the way through. It's it's drawing on American traditions, and it does it from the very beginning. So we're not going to talk through every line of this poem. It's a, it's a fairly long poem, but it's worth talking through some of the lines and some of the words that, that really draw out these traditions that she's engaged with, beginning with the title itself, The Hill We Climb. There's some famous hills in American history, in American tradition. <laughs> and you know, you, you know quite a bit about them, as it turns yes. out. <laughs> uh, I've written a little bit about this city on a hill yeah. business uh, that has often come up in American history. And, and you know, this, the, the city on a hill is a phrase that is often cited to go back to John Winthrop, the first Puritan governor of Massachusetts Bay. Reagan cites him and turns it into this rhetoric of the shining city on a hill that is the United States of America. But what's interesting is that for Winthrop, that hill was always conditional. So in that original sermon from 1630, he says, we shall be as a city upon a hill. But what he's pointing out is that people are looking at us and we might fail. And so he immediately goes on to say, the eyes of other people are upon us. And if we fail, we shall be a byword to the nations. In other words, this could go really badly. (laughs) And so there's this incredible conditional. He's, He's poised right between hope to create a kind of model of Christian community and fear that they're really going to fail and the, and that it will be talked about everywhere. Wow. So so that's the part of the City on the Hill sermon that maybe we don't always focus on is how risky this enterprise is, right? Yes. And what happens is that by the time that phrase becomes like a slogan for the United States, which really doesn't happen until the Cold War, the, the phrase starts to become this sort of static sense that the United States has already achieved something and just simply needs to maintain it. And so when you get a, a title like The Hill We Climb, suddenly the hill is is back in front of us again. <laughs> it's yeah. not something we are trying to maintain, our status on top of a hill. Instead, American history becomes this thing that is ever moving forward, that there's always more hill to climb, that there's a higher place to get to than we've gotten to yet, and that we can't be going back because back is down. Wow. 
Okay, and that's really interesting too, because when I think about the city on the hill, the city on the hill doesn't seem to have always been entirely welcome to everybody. Yeah. And so for Amanda Gorman to title this poem, The Hill We Climb, Mm -hmm. uh, that we is at the front of this poem in the title and in almost every line of the poem, it's we. She's being inclusive. She is inviting everyone into this climbing, into this striving, into this forging of a democracy that, that we can really feel proud of. That we you mentioned carries right into the first line of the poem, which is a question that sets up the rest of the poem. And that question really finds its answer in the last sentence of the poem. And so when we think about the structure of this poem, it does have this very coherent structure. It asks a question in the first sentence, it answers it in the last sentence, and everything else in between is how we get from that question to that answer. And here's the question. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade. And that last word, shade, is really interesting because what she's going to do then with that word is play on that sound, shade, and draw it all the way through the poem until we get to the end where we have brave. So here are some words that just play off of that sound as we move through the poem. Shade, wade, braved, slaves, raised, gazes, afraid, blade, made, glade, raise, aflame, shade again, unafraid, and then the last two lines, brave and brave. And so she's very much, all the way throughout this poem, playing off of the sounds of words to get to the sense of things. Regularly throughout the poem, she's using sound to forge relationships between seemingly oppositional things, right? Mm -hmm. Even as we hurt, we hoped. Right, that's one example. Mm -hmm. Our people, diverse and beautiful, will emerge, battered and beautiful. There's one uh, line that goes from wounded to wondrous. Mm -hmm. She does this again and again throughout the poem. And what I think she's trying to suggest is that we can't be wondrous or beautiful or restored in any way until we are honest about what has happened to us as a nation, mm -hmm. until we are honest about the fact that we are in grief, that we are tired, that we are broken, all of that. And mm -hmm. so that confrontation and honesty about the damage that has been done to our nation is central to any effort we make to repair it. Again, I, I love how frequently she embraces imperfection, yeah? Mm -hmm. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. There she's citing the Constitution, of course. The Constitution says very clearly we are striving to form a more perfect union, not a perfect union, more perfect. Mm -hmm. there, there's an admission in the Constitution that perfection, it's like that XY axis from math class, like in high school, right? We're approaching that axis, but yes. we'll never get there. Yeah. And she's reminding us, perfection is not the goal. Mm -hmm. The goal is to strive to forge a union with purpose, she says. Mm -hmm. What I love there is the verb forge, too. Forging is difficult labor. It wears you out. It's constant work. But that's the work of democracy, right? It's not a passive thing that you inherit. You must work at it. Yes. Our eyes are on the future, and history has its eyes on us. She's such a poet of her moments. Of course, that's a, a, a not-so-subtle citation of Hamilton, right? Yes, that's right. 
There is a subtle moment where she actually cites Hamilton by way of scripture. And I think it's worth bawling this out because she's, she says, Scriptures tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. And on the one hand, of course, that's a citation of Scripture. It's a citation of Micah 4.4. But it's also a particular line of Scripture that George Washington loved. And Lin-Manuel Miranda built it into Hamilton. And so when Washington sings about that particular line of Scripture, it's the moment when Washington chooses on his own peacefully to leave power into the hands of somebody else. This is... This is not an accident. This is not an accident that she is drawing on these particular lines because Washington set this incredibly powerful example of walking away from power that he could have had. I mean, he was head of the army. People wanted to crown him king. You could not imagine a more powerful person at that particular time. And what Washington did at that particular moment was say, I'm going home to be a private citizen. Power is passing to someone else. And this, these are the lines from Hamilton. If I say goodbye, the nation learns to move on. It outlives me when I'm gone. Like the scripture says, everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. They'll be safe in the nation we've made. I want to sit under my own vine and fig tree, a moment alone in the shade, at home in this nation we've made one last time. So she is drawing on scripture, but it's a scripture filtered through Hamilton to make the point that the most powerful example of Washington was when he walked peacefully away. Yes, and this is a very clear signal to her readers and viewers that she is citing what led up to January 6th, 2021, and the date itself, right? I mean, look at this passage. Mm -hmm. It's very, very clear. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it, would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy, and this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. Wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she has said in interviews that, of course, she was working tirelessly on this poem And she thought she had the shape of it, and then January 6th happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she's very clearly signaling with her allusions to Hamilton and George Washington with this moment in the poem. No, that shattering is simply not possible. Mm -hmm. It it cannot be defeated. No Mm -hmm. way. And yet, even as she says that with such kind of declarative affirmation, right? We are better than this, and we have defeated the forces that would defeat us. She moves on to these really powerful affirmations and then ends on a conditional. So I think we should move towards the ending of this poem because I think it's really powerful how she does that. So as we're moving towards the end of this poem, again, with a sort of tip of the hat to Maya Angelou, she says, we will rise, we will rise, we will rise, we will rise. Four times she says, we will rise. And that repetition is is pulling on all kinds of traditions, not just Maya Angelou, but a kind of uh, black prophetic preaching tradition. And oftentimes these kinds of amplifications, these repetitions occur near the end of the sermon. And here we c- we're coming to the end of the poem, and we will rise, we will rise, we will rise, we will rise. It's almost as though the poem has ended. We have this confirmation, this assurance that we will rise. Yeah. And then yeah. the last two lines pull back from that assurance and end on an if, on a conditional. Yes, I love what you, I didn't realize this until you said it. You observed before we started this podcast episode that the poem could have ended on this line. 
We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover, and every known nook of our nation and every corner called our country, our people diverse and beautiful, will emerge battered and beautiful. I love that you noted the poem could have ended there, and if it had, I would have been delighted. I would, mm-hmm. you know, I would, yes, yes, I am with you, Amanda <laughs> Gorman. Uh, but it doesn't end there. She pushes on it mm-hmm. in a way that makes me a little anxious. It's interesting. Look at the last mm, six lines of the poem. When day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Mm-hmm. Now, why does that interest you? You know, one of the things I, I think it's worth pointing out to our listeners is that a legitimate question for any poem, especially one that doesn't have a set form that it's, it's conforming to, is why does it go on? Why doesn't it stop here? Why does it feel compelled to add these lines or this stanza or this next thing? And that's a way of understanding how a poem turns and twists on itself. And here, I feel like the, the end of the poem, first of all, of course, it's referencing the Star-Spangled Banner, the land of the free and the home of the brave. But because it's a conditional, it's a call. Yeah. It's a call to action. And, and that line, the new dawn blooms as we free it, is the answer to the opening question. But what's interesting is that the day doesn't just come on its own. We don't just sit around and suddenly the light shines upon us. It only comes if we free it. The only way to get out of the never-ending shade is to do it yourself, to see it and to be it. And so it is this incredible conditional call to action. There is hope, but it all could fall apart. Oh, my God. No, we can't let it fall apart. The poem is too good. Yeah. <laughs> we have to save the Republic in order to, <laughs> for the sake of the poem. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much more that could be said about this poem and about the sounds and uh, how it's working. But mostly, I just wanted to have a podcast where we have a chance to just point out the fact that poetry is all around us, that it is there for the occasion, and that when it comes through on the occasion, it's moving to so many different kinds of people. People who never read poetry themselves watched that poem and were moved by it. That's wonderful. Very beautifully put. Well... As we said, we hope that you'll watch the video of Amanda Gorman reading this poem again and again. It's wonderful. Uh, and, you know, you can find it everywhere. We don't need to tell you that. Uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll provide some more information on the Poetry for All website at poetryforall.fireside.fm. And please do remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. <laughs>